millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mike Boris. My guest today was working in a corporate career when a chance encounter at the vet with his dog got him thinking about how he could make the process more efficient and painless than the traditional vet visits that we're all used to. Morgan Coleman saw the opportunity to disrupt the pet care industry with a service that was more convenient for pet owners and less stressful for their pets, so he started his business, Vets On Call, an easy-to-use mobile app that delivers high-quality veterinary care right to your door. The app is making working conditions for vets better by providing higher-yielding jobs and more flexible working arrangements, as well as delivering better health outcomes for pets by removing the stress of an out-of-home vet visit. I know exactly what that feels like. COVID accelerated the behavioural change of people looking elsewhere for services, which helped the business grow very quickly throughout that period, with average monthly revenue growing by 600% from July 2020 to January 2021. I'm going to ask Morgan about the discipline required to start a business in a field you know nothing about and where the hell did he get that discipline from and how he continually pushes for improvement across customer usage, innovation through his technology platform and the importance of finding a technology partner. So let's get into it. Morgan Coleman, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. You look like a fairly young chap. How old are you, mate? Recently turned 31. Just turned 31. Yeah. That's young. Less than half my age. Wow. Um, And I see you've got a physical vets on call, but I'm actually intrigued. Um, I see you've got a commerce degree. Is that right? I do, yeah. But you're doing a vet business. Yeah. So um, what do you know about dogs, cats, birds, snakes, anything else that you might be looking after? Well, I've learned a lot more since starting. Um, I grew up on a farm, so always had pets and animals. Um, Always had an affinity for animals, but I can't say that I'm uh, close to being a vet. (laughs) Take me back to farm then, you know, like uh, Morgan as a kid. Like uh, what's your deal? So grew up in Bendigo. My family's from the Torres Straits, um, but I did all my schooling in Bendigo. Grew up on a small farm outside of... So your family, your mum and dad, or your dad or your mum, both? Just from, my dad from the Torres Straits. So he's, a, he's an islander? Yep. As such? Like yep. like an indigenous islander? Yep. yep. Born on Hammond Island. I think there's an assumption everyone knows exactly where the Torres Straits are. Why don't you give us a bit of a, sort of a, bit of a geography history now? Yeah, so... For those that don't know, the Torres Straits are a group of islands that sit between Cape York and Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are actually closer to Papua New Guinea than they are Australia, but they sit within the uh, territorial waters of Australia. Is that, but it's, it's a group of islands. It is, yep. yeah. And um, your dad's from was born on one of the ones called Hammond. Correct. Or he's from there. He's, he's native to that particular yep. island. How many people live on that island? Um, not many. I think about... Um, 1,500 or so. 1,500 people. Pretty small. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, what the hell do they do in those places? Like what, what goes on? What's their industry? Is it tourism or fishing? What do they do? Well, a lot of people actually move from the Torres Straits to find work in Cairns or Townsville, um, some of those more far north 
um, Queensland cities yep. um, because there isn't a lot of industry up there. There's tourism and government in terms of work, um, but a lot of people actually need to move to find income. Yeah, because there's no real industry in those places. No, they're pretty – they're not very well established in terms of infrastructure. Yeah, so, so did your dad come to Australia for work? So dad actually – was born during when there was still the stolen generations. And so his mum was a single black mum, basically, and was worried that the authorities would take him away. So she actually sent him to school in Darwin, I think at about the age of six. And then from there, um, they moved to Townsville and he made his way down to an apprenticeship in Melbourne at the age of 16. To do? He was an aviation mechanic for ANSET. Wow. Yeah. Uh, 16 years of age is going back a while, I guess. It is, yeah. So so, so your family, that's how you end up in Benigo, I guess. Correct. So yeah. you met your mum down there. Yep. Is your mum a Torres Strait Islander or is she? No, she's second generation um, Australian from Wales. So. Welsh. Okay. Welsh, that's it, yeah. So, so as an aviation mechanic, yep. how the hell did he end up in Benigo on a farm? Well, he, um, he actually met mum in Benigo when he was working in outdoor recreation. So after finishing what the mean? apprenticeship. What's that, what's that mean, outdoor recreation? So like um, he used to take like school groups and stuff, you know, camping and things yeah, like right. that. Yeah, right, okay, cool. So he was doing some work in Bendigo and met mum there. Um, they separated pretty shortly after. So I grew up on um, in Bendigo with my mum as a single mum for many years and then she met my stepdad and we moved out to the farm. So you, you, you didn't have a lot, not a lot of influence from your biological dad then? No, so... Um, I actually didn't meet my biological dad till I was right. 16. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. That's yeah. an interesting story. So you didn't have much influence from your biological dad. Obviously your stepdad had influence on you because mm-hmm. he was there all the time, I guess. Yep. And uh, was he the farmer? Yeah, he was actually. He's so a farmer. he grew up on a farm himself right. and wanted some land and hence why we moved out. To- and what, what do they farm Benio? Like um, Benio's, I don't know, sheep or something, what is it? Yeah, look, sheep, crop. We actually had alpacas though. <laughs> so <laughs> Well, that's sheep. I mean, it's yeah. wool anyway. But did, 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 did you grow them for wool? Yeah. 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 I mean, they're a punish. I've had them myself. And so you guys had alpacas and you, um, did you, as a kid, though, were you were part of the farming environment or were you sort of shipped off to school somewhere outside of Bendigo or inside Bendigo? I did all my schooling in Bendigo yeah. um, and weekends were spent, you know, helping out where I could. Can't say I was like the, you know, Animal husbandry expert on the farm, though that was my stepdad for sure. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you, you had your chores. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, was definitely. that discipline? Did that exist? Like, yeah. Okay, um, get up and do your job. Yeah, and I think one of the things that was always drilled into us was that if you had animals, like they ate before you did. Yeah. I remember that. Um, you know, I had to feed the chickens before I could eat breakfast and things like that. It was very much if you've got animals, they're your responsibility. And you take care of them. Yeah, so I mean that that's that's quite an interesting thing because the animals take care of you at the end of the day. I mean you you're eating their eggs, that's why you don't have the chalks for no other yeah. reason. Unless you're plucking feathers or something. But I mean and that discipline as a kid, or understanding that as a kid is really important. So particularly if you're doing what you're doing now, but most kids don't have a have a sense of that. They I mean, they don't even get to mind a dog. Yeah. Let alone anything else. Um so there was a discipline in your household around what time you got up in the morning because, you know, you've got to feed the chooks. If you've got to get up, if you've got to get up and go to school, you have brothers and sisters? I did, yeah. Yeah. So you've got to get them go to school. You know, there's a busy household. Um, stepdad's out. He's, he's probably up as soon as the son's up about doing his bit 
because, you know, there's not enough to, ever enough time for a farmer, ever. There's always some shit to do around the joint. There's, there, literally, as you know, there's yeah. always something. There's always not something. There is always a, a ton of stuff to do around the place. Um, and you can never get never enough daylight hours, and by the end of the day you're exhausted, so you're not working through the night. But what was mum doing, by the way? Mum was a psychologist. Mum's a psychologist, so she yep. got her business to run or her yep. her clients to see. Um, she got to make sure you guys see. You guys got to go and do your thing. You got to get up. So did you say? Did, was there a discipline in the house? Six a.m. up, feed the chooks. First job, second job, make your breakfast. Blah blah. Tell me, take me through. What, what do you remember your routine? Well, we actually, my sister and I were both swimmers. So we were up at like, you know, quarter to five to make training by 5.30. Um, and we'd- Who drove you? Mum. Yep. Yep. Because my stepdad would be um, basically out feeding animals and yep. things like that before we went off. Um, but yeah, I had, mine were the chickens. And then yep. later actually I went and got some goats as well. Yes. <laughs> but um, I had to feed them before we left. Before we left for school. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, I think you probably should explain the life of uh, swim when you say a swimmer. I presume, and I'm looking at your physique here, I presume what you're telling me is that you were in a squad and that you competed in the, I don't know what you haven't done, Benny Gabbard in those days, um, I'm looking at your age, I'm thinking 31. So you would have had, um, at the end of, uh, you were trained through the summer period, through through the Christmas period, you would have had the, you used to have the, you'd have the Metrops. You probably went down to Melbourne to swim yep. the Metrops at the end of January. Yep. At the after end of the January, you had the States and then after States you had the Nationals. It's usually about April. Yep, that's that, correct. Is that, is that yeah. the correct process? Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, that pretty much meant that um, you would have been training during the summer period when everyone else is on holidays, you would have been training twice a day. Yeah. Just to take me through, that's a 5 a.m. start. You're probably doing four or five Ks in the morning, four Easily. or five Ks in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, you would have competed on Saturday mornings perhaps. Uh, just get Pretty much of, every weekend. Get sharp stuff going on. Yep. And then um, you'd start traveling around. Pretty much all summer, every weekend you'd be at a different competition um, and then, the wet, you know, through winter is when you'd be putting in like the really big sort of Ks in the in the pool. And when did you stop swimming? What age? Well, I actually migrated to water polo around the age of 15. Right, so you went over to water polo. It's a little less disciplined, um, nonetheless very competitive, tough, um, but not you don't have to have quite the same swimming discipline as you have to have in swimming. But so up to the age of fifteen, yep. you were used to getting up very early in the morning, every morning, um, training in the afternoons, get home from then you have to do your homework, you have to have your dinner, and you're stuffed by the end of all that. And you and then you go to sleep. Yep. And I've then, never had a problem sleeping. <laughs> correct. And then Friday nights, uh, when everyone else is hanging out at thirteen or fourteen, starting to hang out at thirteen, fourteen in Bendigo, you weren't doing that. Oh well I did do that a little but um I couldn't do it as much. I mean, yeah. you know, like I would be competing in water polo around the state. You know, I'd be up early on a Saturday to travel to wherever I needed to be. It's an interesting um, brain training regime swimming. And then when you mix that with the farming, in other words, what you see as opposed to what you're getting told, um, you know, you see your stepfather and your mum, then then you mix that with the fact that your mum's got a job as well. You, your brain becomes trained in a certain way, which is a great advantage in terms of doing business later on. Because you don't have to think about it. You don't have to start to do anything different in your life. And uh, because for me, business, one of the success hallmarks of business is being able to have routines and stick to those routines, not whinging and complaining about it, and where it all, all, almost becomes automatic and, yeah. and put in the effort. And someone's equipped you with that. Yeah. Whether it's your mum or your dad, I don't know who it was, but someone's equipped you with that, that ability. You're right. Like those those habits as a child and teenager, you know, I still get up early and – my 
I've never had an issue getting up early and having those habits that have been really helped me be productive. And then why did you decide to do a commerce degree then? I mean, what, what drove you to do well, something like that? I think I'd always, I've always sort of had a, like, I enjoy business. I enjoy, you know, accounting and those sorts of things. And truthfully, I'd never really thought too much about going to university. Um, when I was at high school, I actually thought I'd always go and do an apprenticeship. And mum had basically said, just stick it out. You know, you don't even have your license yet. I don't want to be driving you around to all these different job sites. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be here, I may as well give it a good shake. And um, I actually remember sitting in the class where we had to put in our university preferences. And I remember thinking, well, you know, what's the best uni? Apparently at the time it was Melbourne University and what's the degree? And I thought, I like business. So I put commerce at Melbourne Uni first and then was lucky enough to get a scholarship. Probably not luck because, um, I mean, I, I assumed getting into commerce degrees in Victoria universities is just as hard as it is in New South Wales universities. Back then it was one of the ones that was in high demand. So you must have been more than luck that got you in there. So, again, would have been effort, yeah, obviously talent, but talents, unrewarded talent is almost a proverb. Um, you know, talent has to go with effort. So, again, effort and maybe the discipline that you learn from your swimming environments probably helped you get through and get into these courses. What did you learn from doing a commerce degree? They tell me because I got one of those. What, 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 what did you get out of that? I think um, one of the things that I look back at now is the way that I approach problems in business. And I think... So that, learn how to think. Yeah, learning how to think. So it's not necessarily <clears throat> that I use what I did, what I learned. Not a lot there. of knowledge. Exactly. And I think also it's outdated as well. You know, like business today or what we're doing now, if I was using the same stuff I learned in the textbooks at university, I'd be well and truly behind the market. But um, the way that I actually approach problem solving and and the and our business, I learned, I think. It was a good foundation. So let's, uh, let's build a scenario. We've got um, someone who's in their 20s, is like three quarters of the way through their degree, thinks they got a good idea, they're sitting here listening to you right now and they're thinking, wow, I agree, I feel inspired by that. I'm going to go ahead and start up this startup business that I've always wanted to do. I feel passionate about it. I love it. I, I, I feel as I grew up in this environment. I, I was born for this. What would you say is the first thing they should do? I would say simplify it to the absolute core um, value that your business is providing. So when I talk about vets on call, you know, it's people using technology to acquire home veterinary services. So when I started with Vets on Call, I literally was the middleman. I found random people in the dog parks and I that agreed to help me test my service. I found some vets that would agree to help me test the service and I would have them email in. So basically I acted as what the app does now. You were the I, app. Yeah. And I did that for, that didn't cost me anything. Hmm. I did actually pay the vets for their time, which was like, you know, 50 bucks an hour or something at the time. But in terms of proving that people would actually use technology to acquire home veterinary service, it was the first step and it cost me barely anything. So you, you tested it though? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Everything, everything that we've done. And even before I did that, I was surveying everybody I knew on Facebook, you know, had a survey monkey um, survey that I'd set up, which was free, <laughs> um, and pushed it out to Facebook and every pet owner that I could get to go through this survey, I did. And I did the same through a vet network as well. So I had both sides of the marketplace with enough quantitative data that I could I could say, 
based on this, and I can gen- generalize across the population, this is something that is worth pursuing at least one more step further. And then the next step was to go and hang out in dog parks and get people to test my service. Yeah, so, okay, where'd you get that, where'd you get that insight from to do that? I mean, is that something you think you learned at university? Yeah. All the market research and the math behind that, I learned at university. But I think, you know, if you're really serious about starting a business, you've got to do what other people aren't willing to do. So I was up at 5.30 in the morning on rainy Melbourne winter mornings and meeting random people in the dog park and asking them to be a part of like our test phase because I needed to prove that pet owners that didn't know me were going to be able to use this or wanted to use this. That's interesting. So do you remember the day, it may not have been a day, but did you wake up one day or go before you went to bed one night or is there a moment where you thought, you know what, I could be a middleman, I could build a middleman protocol, let's just call it a middleman for the moment, between pet owners who want to use technology and get their pet serviced at home and vets who don't really want to go and rent a premises and want to go, are quite happy to travel in their car to someone's home to look after the animal. Is there a moment that you thought this demand was there? I think there's a series of moments that brought me up to the inception of Vets on Call. Um, The first being when I was sitting in my corporate job and I was miserable and I just remember looking at the computer screen and being like, this is not where I'm meant to be. Like I'm, I'm bigger than this. And in that moment, I decided that I was going to start my own business. At the time, I didn't really know what that was going to be, but I knew that I felt really disempowered um, and I, I just hated that feeling, like to the pit of my stomach, hated it. And I knew that business would enable me to empower myself and set my own course of destiny. And so in that moment, I decided that I'm going to start my own business. And then there was just sort of a few conversations that I had with a friend whose partner was a vet. And then I took my, I got a dog after that. First dog is an, an adult. And I took her to the vet for the first time. And almost immediately, like within walking into the clinic, I just went, this could be so much better, you know, and what if I could marry the needs between the labor force within the vet market and the needs of pet owners and their pets and do it in a way that, you know, I don't have to be a vet to, to bring it about and something that is, you know, infinitely scalable. And that was really important to me as well because being Indigenous and growing up um, in Bendigo, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, the only Indigenous people I saw succeeding were all sports people. And so when you're starting to set your course for your future, you think, well, what can I do? And you look for people that, you know, you resonate with. And I wasn't, I was never going to be a professional sportsman. I remember thinking that like when that dawned on me going, oh, geez, like this is really quite terrifying. Like if I don't succeed at sport, like how will I ever succeed? And I wanted my business to be um, like an example as to what we as Indigenous people can achieve. So it needed, for me, it needed to be something that could scale really quickly and become a household name. And I just walked into the clinic that day and, yeah, it just dawned upon me. I thought, this is it. And I walked back to the car and I scribbled out a blueprint of our business model and the customer service journey or the customer experience journey. Then just went from there. Yeah, is the, you're, that, that's driving you. You want to do something for the Indigenous community. Yeah. Yeah. 
I want the next generation of kids to, of Indigenous kids, not to grow up with the same preconceived limitations that I did. Yeah, I'll be a footy you know? star. Yeah, or, you know, a rugby player or whatever it is um, because I was never that good at footy <laughs> and I, I was never going to make it as an AFL football player. Um, and when, like I said, when that dawned upon me, it was quite frightening. Well, where else could I succeed? And so for me it is really important that Indigenous people see that there's other avenues to success. You know, you don't just have to succeed at sport. There is literally an abundance of opportunity for you and pathways that you can take to improve the lives of you and your family. Okay, well, um, that, that's pretty cool. It, it, it's I've never really thought about it, but it probably would be an issue for, I mean, it, it would, probably would be an issue for a lot of Indigenous kids because they do see the, the heroes are built up as sports people as opposed to the heroes being built up as sports people plus people like you. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, wanting to be an AFL footballer. No, but there should be there should be able to, but it should include everything. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe even a politician or something. I mean it should be it should be inclusive of everything. And there's not enough um there's not enough platforming of what other indigenous people have what, what indigenous people have done otherwise outside of sport. I agree. And it's not that they haven't succeeded. Mm. It's not that there's not people that are doing amazing things. Totally. It's just that you don't see them. Yeah. And so for me when I started Vets on Call, I thought, well, you know, I want this business to be something that, like, we as an Indigenous community can go, like, yeah, one of us did that. When? Maybe one more step. All of us can do that. Exactly. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, we're back from the break um, and we're talking about vets on call and we went through the journey of how you got there. I, I guess my very first question was, is to you, how much courage do you think you had to muster up or is courage never a thing because you were always t- told as a kid with your mum taking you to swimming training, just, just do, don't think about it, just do it, just get up, go swim, train, feed the chalks, go to school, blah, blah, come home, train. Um, how much 
courage do you think you needed to do vets on call or was it just a thing, I've made a decision, I'm doing it, and I'm going to, like I do when I'm swimming, I'm just going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it until I get it right. That's a good question. I think, um, I do think it took a lot of courage. And the reason that I say that is because when I started my job out, out of uni, that was, in my mind, that was how I was going to build a better life for myself and my family. Well, we haven't told you when it's what the job was. So at a uni, what, what, what job was uh, it? I worked in property development yep. and construction management. But in a, in a um, administration, commercial administration yep. sense. Yep, exactly. And when I started, like I said, that was how I thought I was going to build a better life. And it became apparent that like I just would be miserable if I did that. But I still think that there was that sort of like voice in the back of my head that this is where security is and this is, you know. Um, There's a paycheck every week. Exactly. And also, you know, not to say that my family aren't risk takers, but, you know, my mum was sort of there being like, but this is a good job. You know, like why would you leave it? I understand you're unhappy, but maybe you can find a different job in there and like in the same company or another job. Well, patient. Just be a little bit patient. Exactly. I would say to you and my son too, I'd say, mate, just chill. You know, you won't be doing – what are you doing? Costings, job costings? Uh, no, I was actually like managing the projects. Managing the project, okay. Yeah. But sooner or later you'll be a developer in your own right. That, that's what I would have said to my son. Um, be patient. Your yeah. mum was saying the same thing. Pretty much. And it's hard to push back on that too. Yeah. You know, and then when I did decide that I was going to start this business, I think it took a lot of courage because, you know, I sold my apartment, I sold my car, I sold like literally everything that I had of value and I put it into Vets on Call. So, you know, I went all chips in. <laughs> I guess it helps that you're young too. I mean, married kids. I'm married and I do have a kid now. Yeah. Before no, not when no. you not when you kick this off. No. Yeah. Okay. So, but prior to that, were you were you in a relationship? You had a girlfriend or someone? She had her own income. She had a job. Yeah. So, like, it, worst comes to worst, you know. I just go back and get another job. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. So that that part wasn't too bad. So where where where's the courage? Where did you think you had to muster up the courage? Was it to leave the you know, the so-called uh, stable environment and sell everything you had and invest it? Or was the courage um, called upon every time something went wrong and you thought, geez, I fucked this up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, standing out in the pouring rain and like a dog park in Melbourne and no one wants to talk to you, then you're going, what have I done? Like, <laughs> why, why am I here dripping wet? And well, no actually, people probably would feel sorry for you. <laughs> they probably said, "Poor bastard." What's your story? What's, they're more, probably more interested in what you're doing. <laughs> what do, and how? Okay, but I'm actually curious about this. So, how did you approach people? So, I'm a, I'm walking around with my German Shepherd. I'm in um, a park. You know, the sun's just coming up, and I've, I've got my dog on the lead, and uh, looking like I don't want to talk to anybody, which is usually how I am. Um, what was your approach? Well, I had my dog with me. So I'd sort of like coax her over to go and interact with your dog. Go and play that dog Exactly. And then I just sort of spark up a conversation like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, um, I'm doing this. You know, would you be interested in being part of a free trial? You know, you don't have to give me your contact details or anything. Just email me, you know, gave them my email address if you want a trial and with whatever the details are and I'll organise a vet for you. So you were... You went first to the demand for, for the service. So mm-hmm. you, you sort of built like a little list of people who might email you for, G'day, could you send out a, a, someone, you know, my uh, chook broke its leg? Yep. Um, could you send out a vet? So when did, and then when, how did you find the supply side? I mean, how did you work on, how did you get the supply side, the, the vets? 
that I just did through networking. So I ended up with, I had one person that I knew worked in the industry and they helped me get four or five vets across Melbourne that would help me test it. And um, basically they would email me their availabilities. So when somebody sent me, you know, my dog's sick or I need a vaccination, these are when I'm looking, I'd go, okay, I'm going to match you with this vet and I'd confirm the booking that way. Yeah, so you build a marketplace effectively. Yeah. But in the beginning it was you though. You, was were, you were the marketplace. Me. I was the marketplace. So you, you, you were like a, a broker. Yep. You, you built a brokerage. You brokered deals between vets and people who had animals. Pretty much. Yeah. Really, yeah, it was to prove that people would actually use this means of acquiring a traditional service. And then, but these things work on scale. Obviously, you need technology to build scale, so that that came after it. But in terms of the at the beginning, would you just build, take a clip and would you say to the vet, "Look, uh, who who paid you? Like, what was the business model, the financial model? Who who paid? So the 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 pet owner paid you, who paid the vet? Where was the clip? So when I was doing that, that was all just to prove that people would do it. Yeah. So you didn't take a clip. No. So you just, um, it was just a straight I, pass through. Pretty much. And then as I started to build up the business and prove, like continually prove the concept out more, um, and then I went and built tech, we take a clip um, from the client. So the client pays. The customer. Yeah. So the client pays us, we pay the vet, and we take our clip before we take yeah, so the vet. Yeah, so you work out what the vets want and let's say it's 50 bucks an hour, whatever it is, and then you add on a, an earn. Yep. Yeah. And And in terms of your tech, I know you did a commerce degree, but like that doesn't mean you can go and build tech. Um, how'd you go about that? I mean, how'd you work out what platform to use? I mean, you obviously got to build a website, then you got to build all the the, the billing systems, and you got to build the the, um, the diary systems. Like it's it's a big. It's deal. a massive piece of work. Yeah. Our technology is incredibly complex. Yeah. Um, and I didn't build it. I went and partnered with someone that could. So you partner with someone, so you did, brought someone yeah. into the business. Yeah, yep. So, so I actually explained that to our audience because that's a big piece. It is a big piece, and I think it's something that you need to take the time to get right um, because there's a lot of people that will promise the world and deliver very little. Yeah. Um, so so what did you build it on Ruby? Uh, yeah, on Rails. Ruby, Ruby Rails. Rails. Um, yeah. Expensive though. Yeah, and, and not many people can fix it. Like there's not that many no. technicians who know it. So I've got a tech partner um, and they handle that side of the business Yeah, because it is over my head. Um, you know, from but it, a, is, it is a complicated thing, Ruby. Yeah. the tech, And like I said, you know, the technology, it's not simply just we've basically built out, you know, what I'm trying to achieve is all your pet's needs in the palm of your hand. Yep. So that means that. I so it's not just vet. No. It's everything. Food. Yep. So basically, you know, food, pharmaceuticals, all those things are within the app. And we're trying to disrupt an industry that's really traditional and the behavior of the marketplace is really entrenched. So it's not enough for me to just be more convenient and less stressful. I have to replicate what a clinic does, but then do it in a more convenient and less stressful way. At the same price. At the same price or cheaper if, mm. if I can. And so when we're building out the tech, the tech just, as the business evolved, the tech just became bigger and bigger and, um, you know, it very quickly became far bigger than anything that I could build myself. So when you kick this off with the technology piece I'm talking about, mm -hmm. so you're going through a process, but he spent six months on it, you know, testing it out, you're the guy in the middle, 
you're never going to get scale because it's just not possible to get scale there. But you know it works. You know, you know there's vets who want to do it and there's clients who want to do it mm-hmm. with the animals. Um, and, you know, the great thing in this country is there's just shitloads of people getting animals. I mean, everyone loves an animal. Everyone's got a bloody dog. Yeah. COVID was unbelievable for it. Hopefully it doesn't blow up. But um, so, you know, you've got two fundamentally good rising tides. Yep. You know, you've got vets who want another extra money. Vets don't necessarily want to go off and run their own business either because they, they would rather just get in their car, drive there, inject the dog with a vaccination or whatever it is, check it out, yep. collect their money, go home, as opposed to having to open up a shop, pay rent, you know, you've got to pay your outgoings, uh, you've got to I make mean, sure people come in, book them in. Vet clinics are in, insanely expensive to set up. Totally. You know, like you're talking entry price of $1.5 million to begin with and that's, you know, for – a basic kit out of a, of a clinic. It's incredibly expensive to get into. And so, and the payout could not be for maybe 20, 30 years. Because they don't make a shitload of money. I mean, to be honest with you, they, they don't. No, they don't. And, and they've always got locums coming in that you have to pay. I mean, you know, like if you've got 20 animals in there, you've got to have 10 vets or something and everyone's getting paid you know, 70, 80 bucks an hour or something like that. I don't know what it is. There's a level at which you can't charge a client beyond. So... At what point, though, did you say to yourself, okay, I've got to get this tech going now? And and, and how did you go find yourself a tech partner? Well, it was um, when I realized that we had something was basically once we once I'd proved out that people were using this and I'd seen that the the usage within that small group of people increased um, and that vets were loving it. You know, so after every consult that we did initially, I'd call both the client and the vet and say, what worked, what didn't, what do you need, what don't you need? You know, and I'd build it out for the next trial. And by the time that we'd done, I can't remember how many, but like quite a few bookings, I had what I thought was, you know, a really good blueprint. Like a playbook. Exactly. Everything that we're going to need in the app um, for both the vet and for the client. And that's when I went looking for a tech partner. And so when I set my mind to to setting starting this business, I was going to do whatever it took. If that meant getting a meeting with this guy, I was going to get it. But if he had have said no, you know, I would have gone to the next guy. Would have found somebody else. Guy. And I would have just kept knocking on doors until I got someone to open it and say yes. I, I want to say this to the audience now. Mindset is about making your mind up to do something that you haven't otherwise experienced in your life and is not second nature to you. Yeah. It's a conscious decision that you and won't quit. do it. Yeah. You and I are lucky, I mean, particularly you. You didn't have to make a conscious decision to go to swimming training. Your mum got you up. Morning, come on, up you get. Yep. And then over time it became a habit and it became your behaviour and that's what your brain expects to do. Your brain still wakes up at 4.30 in the morning because that's what it's always done. Yeah. It's not a problem. People say to me, oh, what's your habit, Mark? You get up at, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, but, like, I've, that's because I've always done it. Mm. And that's what I did as a kid. You know, I did it as a kid. My old man used to come home from the milk run really early in the morning. Like I woke up when he came home. I was part of that whole program. My brain is programmed that way. Yeah. So I'm lucky. Other people think, oh, I can't do this. Well, you've got to change it. That's, that's what we talk about, mindset. This is a great yeah. example of mindset. 100%. I also think that it's a matter of perception as well. Like my mum, like I can still remember being, you know, four years old and looking out the childcare window and it's pitch black and waiting for mum. Because mum worked that hard. She was back at work two days after I was born. And it would be easy for me to victimise myself and be like, oh, my mum wasn't there. But the reality is she was. Like those things that she did 
taught you something. Yeah, 100%. It's so valuable. Yeah. Well, I think that it comes down to making the conscious decision that that is what you want. That's what, like, if you want something that bad, then do whatever it takes to make it happen. And if that means changing your mindset, if that means getting up at 5 a.m., if that means, you know, knocking on 100 doors, then that is what you resolve to do. And it doesn't matter what happens in between because life will throw shit at you and there's lots of challenges that come up in life and in business particularly, you know, but it doesn't matter what challenges I come up against. I know that I'm going to find a way through it because I've got an end goal in mind. And where okay, so where are you at now? So obviously COVID would have been good for you, I'd imagine, because more pets, probably less vets going to work. Um, and uh, more people at home, therefore, have to look after their pets. Yeah. So COVID would have kicked off hard. COVID was great for us. Yeah. So, so like, just give me an indication of how how much better your business did in the COVID year. So, in the last six months of last year, our monthly revenue grew by six hundred percent. And and you still sort of got a similar run rate now. No, our run rate has it's probably more than tripled. It, right. Okay. In the last year. So um, what about 2021 though? I mean, like is, is it the same 600% increase run rate? Yeah, look, been really great actually. So when the restrictions eased, I was a little, I thought, oh, maybe we'll see our demand sort of like pull back a bit now that people can go back to clinics and things like that. But actually it just kept growing at the same speed. Like our business is, it's fine. And, um, and how many other arms do you business apart from vet services are you doing? You're doing dog training, dog minding, dog pickups, dog you know, day dog care, what do they call it, uh, animal food. What do you do? What are your so, aspirations? Aspirationally, like I said, we want to be all your pet's needs in the palm of your hand. Um, we're not there yet. Like we're still a young business. We've only really been in the market coming on two years. So there's a lot a lot we've got in the pipeline. But um, starting with vet services and there is multiple things, multiple revenue streams within our business. So you can buy like your dog food and, um, pet supplies and stuff like that through the app. And when will you be in Sydney? By the end of the year. By the end of the calendar year. 100%. Good. Because right now, um, one of my dogs, um, i got two gym shoppers, she needs her annual um, vaccinations. <laughs> I mean, the vet's lovely, but like I just, it's a hassle because she's German Shepherd, they have to clear the joint, you know, like you have to make an appointment. You can't just turn up to a vet these days. No. You've, got, you've got to make appointments. Like going to see doctors now. Yep. You've got to, unless you have an appointment, you're not getting in. The old school doesn't 100%. exist anymore. Um, you've got to make an appointment. If you're not there on time, you miss your appointment, you still got to pay. It's a hassle. And uh, plus, it's, you know, I've got to go there during the day um, when I'm working. Um, yep. I'd, I'd just as happily bring her into my office and get the vet to come into my office and do it. With vets on call, and you can. <laughs> happy to pay double. I pay more money for their effort and time, which I get. I, I'd say, okay, cool. Because it's worth me to save, I'd rather pay 50 bucks extra than have to drive somewhere. Because my time's worth more than that to me. Yeah. Even if I'm not working, I'd rather just sit there and do nothing and pay the fifty bucks. Because yep. just having a break for an hour would be good. You know what I mean? Yep. So I, I think it's a great. I think it's a great service. Vets on call is a great service. I also think it's great from everything else you need. So like, I think that service for your pet is so important. And I mean, I love my pets. My pets like sleep in the room with me. So for me, I'll do anything for them. You yeah, know, most people would. Yeah. Anything. Anything. And in fact, the, the the big dog, the the boy dog, um, I mean, he stinks at the moment, and I, and I'm desperate to get someone to come wash him, but I just don't have time, you know. Like, pro- give him a proper 
bath, you know, and, yep. and grooming them and get all the summer he- summer coat out. It's killing me because I feel bad. I actually feel guilty about it, and uh, and therefore people like us, like me, will, will overspend because we feel guilty about our animal. We treat them like children. Yeah, most people do look at them like they're a family member. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, like when my alarm goes off in the morning, which is very early, my dog knows the big the the, the male. He knows he comes straight over and he just straight up to my face and licks me on the face. <laughs> he knows the alarms. It's it's the, the news comes on. And he comes straight up to me, licks my face. Like uh, if I'm asleep or awake, doesn't matter. It's like a habit for him. It's like, come on, buddy, get up. He's trying to tell me to get up, you know, because he knows he's going to get fed or he gets walked yeah. and he gets fed. And uh, that's, it's in his interest, but uh, <laughs> I get that. That's fine. I, I have, I get, I mean, I'll probably overrun my time. So I've been asking all the questions. Do you have a question for me? I mean, I actually love your business. I think it's a great idea. Well done. The technology will always be a, a challenge for you, but. Technology just happens to be that way. Um, but well done. Good on you. It's a, it's a great idea. And such a young man, it's fantastic. And I actually, I, I want to say this to you too, by the way, I should say this. I think it's extraordinary that a 31-year-old man is prepared to stand up and represent um, his Indigenous background and is in part not just doing it to make money and to be successful, but also to be successful as an Indigenous person. So good on you. Well done there. Thank you very what, much. One question do you have for me? So with Bets on Call, we're trying to disrupt the market. And I talk about the habit loop of our clients, which currently is in the marketplace. It's, you know, your dog is or dog or cat is sick or lame or something, which is the trigger. The action is to take them to the clinic and then the result is to get them treated. We need to disrupt that habit loop, mainly the action. So the trigger and the result are the same, but rather than calling the clinic and going down there, you use our app to get a vet to come to you. Do you have any advice on how we can speed up that behavioural change in the market? No, I don't think you can speed up behaviour. Behaviour grows. Your behaviour as a swimmer didn't happen overnight. It took many, many years for you to, you're talking about changing people's behaviours and habits, but there's no such thing as about replacing people's behaviours and habits and you replace people's behaviours and habits just the same way as they build up the behaviour and habit in the first place, with repetition, continuity. Um, and so I don't think, I, don't, I can't, there may well be a way, but I don't know a way to neurologically change someone's habit from what they currently do and or their behaviour, other than to be constantly at them. Mm. And, 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 of course, we've got all the... Um, there's all the protocols that exist like Instagram and all the great stories and case studies and et cetera, education programs that no doubt you're doing now through social media and your digital environments. Um, and you just have to keep doing that. The wizard business, for example, a good example, the wizard business was a business that we wanted to stop people from going down to the bank and applying for a home loan. We wanted them to contact us somehow. In those days it was by telephone, but contact us somehow um, so that we could come out and see them. But, but that took maybe $50 million, $60 million in advertising, four or five years of consistent advertising and marketing programs, sponsoring New South Wales Rugby League, you know, on the front of the jersey, the amount of stuff we did. It was just consistent layer after layer after layer. Now, you can do it faster today because of digital media, but unfortunately I think digital media has become really flooded because everybody's doing digital stuff. So you're, you, you're no doubt on... You know, social media and you'd be getting, your feed would be full of 
crap, you know, like it's yeah. just stuff coming through all the time. So you can do it, but you have to be prolific at it. You have to be really um, passionate about it. You have to be selling the story and it just takes time and money. I don't, I'm going to be like your mum when you said you thought about leaving the job. I'm going to say to you, mate, be patient. There's no, yeah. there's no speed to market on this. I'm sorry. There's no, make sure your technology works. Make sure you've got heaps of case studies. Make sure you've got heaps of people going and rating all your various vets, you know, all the trip advisors type stuff. And there's plenty yep. of examples out there what works. But those things didn't happen overnight. They took years and years and years and years. And in my case, in the Wizard case, there was only me, Aussie, and Rams. We didn't have a hundred other things, tech things competing with us out there. You today, there's ideas everywhere. There's marketplaces everywhere, not for vets necessarily, but there's marketplaces for everywhere. All of them are doing what I just said, mm. pushing their, their proposition. So that's why we're getting inundated on our feeds. So you have to do something that's a little bit above that, you know, and if you can pitch the price right, you know, the price is no more than you would pay if you go to the vet, then it's a no-brainer. Yep. But as, as I said, you've got to be patient about it and you need to layer this, layer it, layer it. But I reckon PR would be a real good one for this. I, I'd go hard on PR on this. Okay. That's the game. All right. Thank you very much. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. 